Um, we're here to worship. We're here to continue on in uh, Daniel chapter 11. Let's, let's have a word of prayer and, uh, and just ask the Lord to, to lead us this morning. Father, we're thankful. Thankful that we can come and sing your praises. You are a great God. You are the creator of heaven and earth. You are the one who has given us life. And then again, you gave us life through Jesus Christ. As he gave his life for us, saving us from our sins. Help us, Lord, to recognize who you are, who we are. Help us to draw closer to you this morning, even as we, we study your word, as we go back into the Old Testament prophecies again. May we be brought closer to you, and may we understand the love that you have for us. And we just pray that you direct our minds, our hearts, even as we worship you in this study. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I think you've caught on to the little outline that we've been in here in Daniel chapter 11 in the last couple of weeks. Uh, God is sovereign. God is the controller of everything, even when it seems like he isn't. God controls military might. Uh, that was the first part of the chapter, was we saw the wars, the movements, and God being sovereign over that. God is over political power. We know that uh, a lot of people in this world are fighting for political power, fighting to control, whether it be the, the country, the municipality, the world in general, but God's over that too. And finally this week, we come into the end of the chapter, and we're talking about uh, the seduction of celebrity. I'd said before, the, the force of fame. Um, just that idea that we can, we can follow people and their personality. And it can draw us in, can't it? So we can be overwhelmed by violence, by voices, and by VIPs. We can get conned into trusting the powerful, the persuasive, even the prestigious. But don't. Remember we said the powerful, uh, you know, the military might. In the end, it's kind of like blow sand in the desert. The force of power shifts. You know, people who were in power, boom, they're gone. A little bit later and, and power shows up over here. In terms of uh, persuasive, uh, persuasion, um, you know, the, they can convince people through flattery. Um, but in the end, it all seems to be treachery. Human politics is mostly, think about this, human politics is mostly about words that hide the truth. People are saying things, but they don't want to say what they really mean, right? Because what they're trying to do is move the greatest amount of people. And so it seems like there's always these words that hide truth rather than Jesus Christ, who is the word. And he was never afraid to say what he believed. He was never afraid to, to pronounce truth, even when that truth was offensive to some people because he knew it was what was best for them. It's better to be in the truth than to be living a lie. And so as politics carries on this attempt to, to control wealth, to control the world in, in, in itself, to to control worship. We saw that last week as well, didn't we? How in the end, you know, Antiochus, his 
desire was to control those who worship God, to turn them away from God. That was his real focus. So don't be overwhelmed. Don't be drawn in. And finally this week, don't be swayed by the intoxicating, entrancing influence of identifying with our idols, with those who would put themselves up to be worshipped. And so we see these different levels of deception. One is like, boom, black and white. It's, it's like uh, an, an attack on us. We're being pushed to do something. The other one, we're kind of be pulled along, pulled along through politics. They try and coax us and encourage us. And the last one, this one we're studying this week, this idea of, of celebrity, of, of worshiping, we get played so badly. People can get played so badly, they end up promoting themselves those who would be destroying them. And so lots to be careful of in this world, but all of these elements are, are involved in what is evil government. Um, and I'm not saying all government is evil, but when there's evil government, these things are involved. We see a, an elevation, a, a cultivation, a, a honing of the art of, of tyranny. That's what we saw in Daniel's day. That's what God was warning him of in his future. And that's what we will see in the final day in this world. An all-time high of this sort of tyranny. So our purpose in studying this chapter, in studying these prophecies, is one, yeah, not to be vulnerable. Not just to be led around by those around us who would be saying uh, whatever. But it's not to be fearful about this either. It's to also help us understand God's involvement. You know, if God's prophesying, if God is telling people this is what's going to happen and it happens, it's because he knows, he's in control of things. He could hold back all the evil if he wanted, but he allows evil to play out to show you know what this is evil but I'm even greater than that and so we should have a growing confidence in God and what he's doing despite what we're experiencing in the world despite what we see and are sometimes overwhelmed by God is still in control God is still willing to protect those who are willing to be led even in the presence of the greatest adversary. And that verse came to mind from Proverbs 23, verse 5. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And I just think about that, that picture, you know, a battle going on, and yet the Lord sets a table, and, and he provides for us, and he cares for us. And that is really the picture I hope we come out, you know, in the end with this study that, you know, God has things under control. God is caring for us. God still loves us, even though we are in the midst of battles many times in this world. The first point, the Antichrist will have competence. Don't be fooled. He will have competence. Let's read a few verses from Daniel chapter 11, beginning at verse 36 down to 38. Just a few verses. 
as we begin this final section of the chapter. And this is the prophecy that Daniel received. The king shall do as he wills. We've been following this king all the way along through this last part of the chapter. This king who is prophesied in Daniel's future, hundreds of years in advance. But this is what God says. He shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god. For he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of of the fortress instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. Well, as we think about prophecy and as we read through this, I'll start by saying this, there are a lot of misunderstandings when it comes to prophecy. And some of it is because It's not a lot of, there's not a lot of very detailed, clear language. It doesn't give us names and dates, that sort of thing. But then there's, on the other hand, there is misunderstanding because a lot of times we're hearing things that we don't want to hear. We'd rather not understand it. And that's the way I felt as I first read through this last part of chapter 11. When I finished, I thought, So that's it? Evil gets the best of us? Evil wins? Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like this overwhelming uh, victory in terms of the, the prophecy that Daniel was reading and also as we consider our future, the end of time, uh, the Antichrist, the final leader who will be on this earth. And it's, it's kind of like, it's, I mean, I don't want to hear that. You think about that. Um, You know, do we want to hear our enemy, our adversary talked up in the locker room before we go into the big game? No, we don't. Sports psychology would say, uh, this is not what should be done. You should be talking about how good you are. But you know, this isn't a sport. This isn't some... some, uh, game that's defined by the lines on a court or the lines on a field and this is this is truth about the future about the world and what's going to happen and we know the victory has already been won you see it's all about us and how we enter into this how we live out our lives it's all about us identifying identifying the enemy knowing who the enemy is And a lot of times, you know, we think about the bad guys. We think, oh, he'll be just the way I imagine. He'll look evil. He'll be wearing the black hat, right? In the movies. Always the guy in the black, oh, he's the bad guy. But it's not always that he's easy to be defined. So we're going to to see what's being laid out here. And for Daniel, if we work through this, I was hoping you guys would just remember a lot of what we talked about before, about this 
man in Daniel's future, Antiochus Epiphany, remember? Antiochus IV, the Greek king. This is the one they're talking about here. And as we go down through these verses, it says, he shall exalt himself, magnify himself above every God. It lifts, he lifts himself up. He says, I am God. Remember, that's Antiochus Epiphany, or Epiphany means manifestation of God. This is the sort of guy he is. And he's going to lift himself up. But the thing I really want to focus on here is he's competent. He knows what he's doing. He does well. Even in verse 36 as we read it, it, we have four shalls in there. He shall do as he wills. I don't know if this is just the first one or if this is the overall for the others. But he shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself. He shall speak astonishing astonishing things and he shall accomplish. He'll prosper till he accomplishes everything he's supposed to accomplish. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, the bad guy, he can't win in the end. You know how you've gotten to the end of those movies and you're thinking, well, I know how it's gonna turn out. You know, these people who are selling movies they, they, they know who's watching and they make a story where the good guy wins in the end, most of the time. You've ever watched those movies where the bad guy wins in the end and you kind of walk away going, oh. <laughs> Maybe it was one of those semi-true-to-life kind of movies and what really happens is sometimes evil seems to win. We don't want to see this. But this guy shall, he shall overcome. He'll do exactly what he wants us to do, or or what he wants to do. And so we understand that this is what was going on in Daniel's time. Remember, Daniel was in exile. He was under the king of, first of all, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Then he was under Darius, the Mede. And it went on. Remember the four empires. Evil was winning in Daniel's day. This is the future to Daniel about Antiochus. And we look back in history and we see how many evil people have ruled in different ways at different times. And this is pointing ahead and saying, wow, the future. It's what it looks like in the future too. But it shouldn't surprise us It shouldn't, because Jesus, when he was here in this world, he called Satan the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2. He talked about Satan being the ruler of the world, and he described Satan as having a limited power, a limited power that will be for a time, and as we think back to Daniel, as we've gone through here, there have been so many times where it says, for a season, For a time, this person or that empire will have power. They'll dominate. Evil will seem to reign. We understand. We understand that God is telling us this will happen. He will seem to be accomplishing terrible things, the evil one. And when that happens, our tendency is to say, Where is God? 
Where is God in the midst of this? Because we think everything should turn out exactly the way we want it to turn out, don't we? We think that our comfort is a priority. That everything should go our way. But think about it. If that was true, if you are the priority, if everything should go your way or my way, what does that make us? God. We're basically saying, hey, I'm the one who this is all about. And if this isn't going smoothly for me, then it's no good. And we think back, it redirects our thinking when we run into evil in this world. When things don't go our way, when we're uncomfortable with what's happening, it reminds us we're not God. It's not about us. And so we, we get our focus back on God and we look to him and we say, okay, Lord, you're sovereign, you have a plan, you have a purpose. I need to follow you. I need to know your mind in all of this. It's all about submission, accepting that God knows what is going to happen and God knows what ultimately is best. Jesus casually mentioned when he was here in this earth, there are going to be many antichrists. We're living during that time where there are many people who lift themselves up and would oppose God and his truth. And as we think back to Daniel and this prophecy, we think Antiochus Epiphany, he was the poster boy. He was the one who ticked off the most boxes for what this kind of evil leadership was all about. And we think, can we trust God during this? It seems that evil is winning. There's so much success. And our mentality is, well, if there's success, then they must be right. Must be okay. Let's not believe that lie. You know where it starts? It starts in our own personal lives. Sometimes we start that lie going when, you know, we do something, we think, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but you know, everything turns out all right. So it must have been okay. If God's spirit is challenging us in our lives not to do something, let's listen. Even if we don't think it's a big deal, even if things turn out okay in the end and nobody dies, let's become people who are willing to submit in those little circumstances. Because if we don't believe that lie, oh, it's okay. Everything works out all all right in the end. If we don't believe that lie there, then it will help us with the bigger lie, the cosmic lie, the lie when evil is happening in the world and we, we start to question, well, maybe that's okay. No lightning bolts hit anybody. The world didn't come to an end. It must be okay. No, let's remember what God says is true. 
how God directs. That's the way we should be going and not basing things on success and if everything turns out okay in the end. So right from here on out, let's go, okay, we need to be walking with the Lord, walking in obedience, listening to his voice, his spirits prodding in our lives. It's not about survival. It's not just about getting along. It's not even about success. But it's about walking with God. Because you know, we think about this. We think in terms of history, in terms of the prophecy, in terms of our life circumstances, we see this played out in that greatest of all events. The cross. Where was the success there? Where was the victory? Who won? Who lost? You know, we look at the cross and Christ died there, didn't he? What was that all about? The disciples were walking around kind of in a cloud afterwards, thinking evil was successful. But then Christ arose. He rose from the dead and Peter got things sorted out in his first sermon that he preached in the church age. This is what he said about evil's victory. He said, this Jesus, this is Acts chapter 2 verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He reveals something here. The greatest act of evil. The greatest successful act of evil ever accomplished in the world was allowed by God. All according to his plan. The disciples were walking around in the days thinking we've lost. Evil has had the victory. But no. As competent as evil is, we see how everything fits into God's purposes, God's plans, what he is doing. We see how it happens in the cross. We understand how it happens in our lives. And we can believe that for the future. It's God who is presenting this prophecy to us. This God who ha- came and lived through these events in the person of Jesus Christ is the one who has control of our future. This week, when evil seems to succeed, We see it in the news or maybe in personal circumstances. We go, no. There's no success there for evil. This is all according to the definite plan, the foreknowledge of God. He's got this. And we trust him for the future. Because things will get worse. Evil will accomplish more, but in the midst of that, 
God is still in control. Second point, the Antichrist will have compliance. People will comply to him. Things will comply. Things will go his way. But don't flounder. Let's read a few more verses or a couple more verses. Verse 39, it says this. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen, with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overthrow and pass through. He'll have his way. To those of us who know there's a God in heaven, the way this guy acts, the way we've been reading about, he seems quite blasphemous. He, we read in previous verses, lifts himself up above not just all people, but all gods. Once again, we go back to this Antiochus guy. This guy who thought he was the, the manifestation of God himself. It says he, he honors himself with silver and gold. And you know one of the ways that could, be, could come out in history, that prophecy... The fact they say when you look at the money that was produced during Antiochus's time, it started out with Antiochus the Fourth, and of course his image on it. But by the end, it said Antiochus Epiphany, and he had a star over his head, symbolizing that he was God. Remember, he thought he was the physical manifestation of Zeus. He put the altar to Zeus or the statue of Zeus in the temple at Jerusalem and was sacrificing pigs to Zeus to himself. Once again, this is a little look in at human nature as it, as it blossoms. This idea that egotism leads to atheism. When we're so focused on ourselves, God gets pushed right out of the picture and we become God. I know most people wouldn't, well, I don't know if I can say that. Most people wouldn't say it, but there are a lot of people who who think that way nowadays and they will express that in words, that I am God. There are even cults, religions out there that believe that, that each person is their own God. And we need to get back to the, to the place where we are focused on God being God. And this Antiochus, he, he declares himself to be the manifestation of God and the crazy thing is, is that people go along with it. Because it means they can get what they want. They can join in and receive some of this honor as well. It says in 39 that those who acknowledge him, he'll load them with honor too. And I thought of that. I thought of how it applies to us today. 
you know, there's a great temptation to jump on bandwagons to follow the successful so that we can somehow receive residual glory. And I think it's something we need to be warned about. There is an attractiveness to the Antichrist. Whether it be the final figure or those Antichrists along the way. We always think, boy, I want to know. I want to know more about this, this figure so that I can say, oh, that's the guy, we've got to stay away from him. But I don't think we ever get enough information in prophecy to defend ourselves from the Antichrist and from that sort of thinking. But what we do get in Scripture is direction about who we are to be worshiping. And that's all the protection we need. That will give us every ability to identify Antichrist in the world today, whether it be the person or the spirit. Exodus 20, the first two of the Ten Commandments. What do they say? No other gods. Have no other gods before me. Don't, the second one, don't, don't make graven images or carved images. Even don't make carved images of God because we have this tendency to focus on what is here in front of us rather than have a relationship with God who's a spirit, who's far. Why? Because it's a challenge to us. The life of faith is a challenge. Life of faith is, is effort to remain focused on a God who we cannot see. We think back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the, the Shema where, where uh, God says, Hear, O Israel. There's one God and it, they're supposed to talk about this with their children. They're supposed to tell them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, strength. Love him. And this is really the issue for us as we think about evil in this world, as we think about future things, as we think about prophecy and how we are going to head, or head into what is in our future. How we're going to be best protected it has to do with this, loving God. Cultivating, nurturing that relationship with which, which we have with the Lord. Protecting our heart and not being swayed by the culture of the day that would put people up on pedestals. You see, the human psyche the human mind the human heart wants to worship we've been given that desire to worship and it's so that we can worship God so we have an enjoyment worshiping God but it's so much easier to bring something down to our own level something that we can see something that we understand or someone who thinks like we think it's easier to worship isn't it? When that which we worship is natural and not supernatural. It's physical, not spiritual. And so it's not just government leaders. In fact, I think that's the low thing on the totem pole as far as worship these days. 
But people will want to worship this government leader, this antichrist. They'll want to get honor along with him. But there's so many other areas in our lives where we are pushed by our culture, by our surroundings, by social media, by the news to worship things and people and superstars, the wealthy, the athletes, the musicians, the film stars. And maybe also dangerous for us, maybe a gateway worship is Christian celebrities. You think about that. We can honor people who are living for God, but we tend to have this this celebrity type mentality where we exalt people to where they should not be. And we put them in the place of God, or they're at least distractions. Distractions for us from God. And we need to be careful of that, even if they're Christians. So this is what um, was prophesied. This is what we can see as we look back historically over the years, this, this cycle of people getting sidetracked, people exalting different ones, different leaders. And we know from our life circumstances today, we, we can tend to get off track very easily. But I want to think about the cross again. that which was most important in history, in our history. Isaiah 53, 53.3, when it talks about, it's prophesied, the cross. What's it say about Jesus? He will be despised and rejected. There'll be nothing in him that is beautiful superficially that is attractive superficially that draws people just because of wow what a great guy he is good looking he's like well-built guy he's he he appeals to my natural self i want to get on board with him because it gives me honor no this is jesus the savior the messiah the Son of God, God in human form, he'll be despised and rejected. And who kills him? The celebrity religious leaders of his day. The Pharisees, the scribes, the guys who who had a place and were trying to maintain their image, were trying to hold on to their positions, their power. See, we've got to get rid of this guy. And we see how this idea of celebrity plays into the cross. And we need to we need to think about ourselves, our own hearts, how we look at the world around us. We always think about the future and the Antichrist, and we, I think we're thinking he's going to be a beast. Remember, the beast was the, the divine perspective, the image that came in Daniel's vision. But it seems very clear throughout Scripture the Antichrist is going to be attractive to many. 
Revelations 13.3 says the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They thought, what a great guy. We're told about how he brings a sense of peace. He's the guy who seems to have it all together. He has all the answers. He's going to make us comfortable. He's going to take care of us. Finally, somebody we can see in visual form. He's going to be attractive. Remember, it says he'll deceive, if possible, even the elect. Think of that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, God says through Paul, Satan clothes himself as an angel of light. So it should be no surprise to us that Satan's servants come to us looking really good, attractive. They would draw us away. So what do we do? It's about knowing exactly the identity of this guy? No, it's knowing the identity of the one that we should be worshiping. It's in having hearts that are focused on God. We talked about this on Thursday night at, at, at prayer meeting. Just the idea of, you know, so many times we're, we're going, how am I going to live the Christian life? Okay, I'm going to do the right things. And we focus on doing the right things rather than doing the right thing, which is worshiping God. I mean, if we have his spirit inside us, it's his spirit that, the one that's, that is the one that's supposed to lead us along. And if we would spend more time just worshiping, we would be walking correctly. And that's, that's difficult. It's a challenge for us. Because we get our hearts drawn away, our eyes, our minds drawn to things that we can see. Things that, we can, that, that are tangible, that we can put our hands on. But things that will never measure up to God. And so what if, when we got up in the morning, instead of saying, I'm going to do the right things, we just met with God and we worshiped him. We set our hearts on him. We worshiped him as our God, as our savior. We draw close to him and we say, Lord, you lead me. Rather than trying to educate or, 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 or have a strategy for doing what's right, we go, Lord, you lead I'm just going to keep my eyes focused on you. I'm going to draw closer to you. It's not natural. But it's supernatural. And it's what we see we are called to in the scriptures. Third point, the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be completely ruined. Don't forget. You know, we read down through all these verses and Almost even right to the end, it just seems it's, it's his victory, victory, victory. Let's read verse 41 down to 45. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab 
and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler out of the treasures of gold and silver and all of the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train but news from the east and the north shall alarm him and she shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. More success. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Reading this, continues to shock <laughs> overwhelming accomplishment on a part on the part of the evil one he will have a success and it's hinted at in the first verse 41 even as he comes into the glorious land into israel itself it says his success will be measured there will be those who will not be under his dominion But we have to wait until the final words of the chapter <laughs> till we read, he shall come to his end with none to help him. And we go back to the prophecy, the prophecy of the statue. Remember the four different types of metal, the four different empires that will rule in the world? And what happened is Nebuchadnezzar saw that statue and it was glorious and it, it represented the glory of, of human power in the world. At the end of that dream, there was that rock that came out of nowhere. Literally, it came out of nowhere. And it struck the foot of the statue, and the statue was turned to dust. Remember that other phrase power of this world the empires will come to an end by no human hand god will show his power god will come in and win the victory and once again we know what that victory was it was the cross it's the cross can we apply that to our daily life? Can we think about our life circumstances? How we, you know, just in, in things from day to day, we face so many threats, so many things that can overwhelm us that we think, oh, but then God brings us through. Those of us who are his children, who know him, we, we, we turn to him, we trust him, and we see on the other side, oh, that thing that we thought was so huge, so insurmountable, God had an answer for it. It was his solution. He brought us through. He'll do it again. Can we nurture that trust, that faith in God through those circumstances? And it can bring us back to the cross. It can help us to understand that even in, in the bad, God has a plan for good. It's kind of like Joseph, what he said to his brothers. You meant that for evil. He was sold into slavery. 
But he says, God meant it for good. And Satan's greatest successes, whether they be in our life or in in the history of the word of God or in the cross, Satan's greatest successes, well, his greatest success at the cross was his ultimate demise. Think of a verse I didn't realize it. I came across it in my study this week in Hebrews chapter 2. I, I didn't remember reading this verse before. It was very interesting. Chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 14. Since therefore the children shall share in flesh and blood, we have flesh and blood. He himself, God, Likewise, partook of the same things. He lived in flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death. Though, through, uh, sorry, those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Through death... Jesus Christ conquered death. Satan thought he was winning the victory with Christ on the cross. But God's plan was that that death deliver us from the penalty of our sin. And delivered us from death. Satan's greatest success ended up being God's ultimate victory and if we go and read other passages like Revelation 20.10 that tell us of the beast and the false prophet and Satan it says they will end up in the same lake of fire together forever they'll come to an end and there will be none None to help them. And so even as we go through this prophecy that Daniel received, and even as we see the power of victory, I trust that it helps us understand the power of God to be sovereign over all of these things. We need to understand the Antichrist. No, he's not incompetent. He's not some bumbling villain. He's not unattractive, an obvious evil enemy always. But we need to always understand he's not unconquerable. For us, oh yeah, he could overwhelm us in a moment. But for God, no. Because Christ came. Because Christ died to pay for our sin. And so the question comes to us, who is it that we worship? Who is it that we worship? First, yes, we need to come to God and believe in Christ and his salvation. But who is it that we as children of God worship on a day-to-day basis? Do we believe in God's greater competence? Do we comply, honor him? Are we trusting in his faithfulness? 
to fulfill all that he said for the future. And that is the challenge we have before us, but oh, it's a glorious challenge because as we work to put our faith in him, to trust in him, to worship him on a daily basis, we have greater confidence in how things will play out in our future. And that in the end, God wins. And we, his children, win along with him. Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us together this, this morning to worship you. Thank you that you are the only true, wise, all-powerful, sovereign God. We can't even conceive what that means completely because we are fragile human beings with minds that fail, minds that are finite. But we know from what we have seen in the past, your prophetic revelation that you know the future. And just as you knew Daniel's future, you know our future and that you have control over the future. And we know that because you were willing to enter into history, subject yourself, even as a man, to the events of this life, to the power of evil, and yet win a great victory for us on the cross. Lord, these things are hard enough for us to understand as your children. We pray for those who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Pray that you would bring them to a place of understanding. That they would see that the cross was their victory. Won by you on their behalf. And that you'd help us, Lord, to continue to live out that victory as we worship you, as we walk in step with you through this life. May we know the joy of close fellowship with you, your victory through us as we honor you, as we celebrate you, as we worship you, the one who is worthy. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.